Good morning. It's good to be back with you again. It's been uh, it's been a couple of months since uh, so I was with you, uh, but uh, always grateful to be with you and share from God's Word. Um, and uh, no different this morning. So uh, I'm uh, I'm not a competitive person, but I do like to win. Um, like. <laughs> I do, like, uh, at, and it's at different things, like I'm not a sports guy, but I do, I do enjoy winning when I have the opportunity to compete for something, it doesn't matter if it's a, a game or if it's in my work, like I like to win at certain things, like I, I want to know that I've accomplished something, that I've, I've attained something, and so and I, my, my guess is that each one of us, like, enjoy winning, uh, none of us enjoy losing, um, especially when it's, it's at something that you care about, right? Um, when I was la- with you last in December, um, I had taken some opportunities to kind of share with you some of the, the ways in which, uh, to be quite frank, I, I was failing, some ways that I felt pretty defeated in my, my life. And I'm not expecting you to remember all of that from December, but uh, let me just recap. I had just experienced uh, this past fall probably one of my uh, most challenging seasons of my life, one of the most difficult in my spiritual journey, where I had just kind of found myself uh, hitting a wall where um, I I didn't really want to read my Bible, if I'm real honest with you. Um, My prayer life was kind of a mess and almost non-existent. Um, I didn't really feel the presence of God in my life and, and was just really struggling. And, uh, and so I experienced that last fall. Well, in December, you, you got kind of the, the upswing of that a little bit, where God had really been working in my life and transforming some things where I was, I was starting to experience some, some real freedom, to experience some freedom uh, from uh, the pressures of performance, uh, the pressures of having to try to, to act like a certain kind of person or to put on a facade of being the good Christian boy that I was, right? And so I had begun shedding some of that, and, and God is continuing to work on my life um, as I've been growing in Him and experiencing His presence and His power. Uh, now, I'm not going to tell you that like everything's great and fixed and everything's wonderful, right? Um, but God has been uh, continually transforming my heart and my mind um, to be uh, more in His presence and more in tune with what uh, He desires for me. But I just want to be real honest with you is that uh, I fail, and I fail pretty badly a lot when it comes to my spiritual life. Like my pursuit of godliness is not where I desire for it to be, that, that it's something that I fail in uh, pretty much every single day. And it's a struggle for me as, as I fail in something that I find really important, right? Like those songs that we just sang, like I, I want those to be true. Like, I want those to be true for my life, but to be honest with you, there are times when I know that, that that's not true for me. My guess is that many of you have experienced that or are experiencing that, where perhaps you in your spiritual life or in your pursuit of godliness or in pursuit of God's presence, you find yourselves failing at times. And, uh, and sometimes it may be uh, ways in which you fail pretty big where you succumb to sin and uh, maybe hidden 
sin in your life that you, you find yourself in situations where you just feel like, I'm a, I'm a pretty big failure. Like, I, I know that I've, I've, I've somehow disappointed myself and disappointed God, right? So some of you have felt that in, in pretty significant ways and, and maybe battling with some of that even now. Some of you just, you know, fail in other ways where you just, you know, you uh, perhaps you skip your time with the Lord during the day and you just feel like something's off. And, and so maybe you go to bed that night, it's like, ah, I just feel like I failed in some way, like I'm missing the mark and, and my pursuit of godliness is just somehow kind of veered off track. It may be for a season, it may be for a day, but, but my guess is that each one of you experienced that in some way, in some significant way. I want today to be an encouragement to you um, of how God transforms our hearts and minds, how he uh, sanctifies us. That's a theological word, but how he's in the process of changing who we are. When we're children of God, when we've given ourselves to him and we've confessed our faith and belief in Christ and, and said, Lord, I want you to reign in my life. I want you to take control that, that we do fail, but that God is at work. So I want this to be a day of encouragement for you about how God does that. And what, what our responsibility is in that, in that role of, of him changing our hearts and minds. So I discovered this passage of scripture. It's one that I've read before, but it's not one that I've really taken much time or effort to really study. But I found it just a couple of months ago, and it's in 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to have you open your Bibles there, if you would. 2 Peter chapter 1. I know the verses will be behind me, but I, w- I want you to see it in your own scripture so that you can go back to it this week. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're actually going to start in verse 5. We're going to start kind of in the middle of this passage, um, because these are, the, these are the things in which uh, are command for us in our pursuit of godliness. These are the things that uh, Peter sets out for us and says, these, these are the attributes, the characteristics, these are the pursuits of godliness and life in which I want you to try to attain. These are the things in which um, you're directed to do to add to your faith, to supplement your faith. And so he says, starting in verse 5, he says, for this very reason. And we're going to go back to what that very reason is for. But for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Verses 5 through 7 describe how we should live. Uh, they are, uh, there's eight things that he mentions. Faith, virtue or moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness or patience, call it patience, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. The, the list begins with faith. And it ends with love. My guess is if we were to uh, do a little survey of this list of eight characteristics or qualities of what it means to pursue godliness, that we would find that we probably don't measure up the way that we would like to. So let's just do this. Just do this in your mind. You don't have to necessarily write these numbers down, but I want to go through the list, and I want you to think through and evaluate your own life, and just evaluate it for today, right? Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own, but let's just evaluate it for today, all right? These eight characteristics, and I want you to to rate between uh, one being the least and ten being the most, where you feel you're at in pursuing these things, 
So let's start with faith. Between 1 and 10, how do you feel that you're at? I'm not going to have you raise your hand with numbers, right? Where are you at in pursuing faith? The belief that God can do all things. What about virtue? How are you at moral excellence between 1 and 10? Where are you in pursuing moral excellence? What about knowledge? Really understanding who God is, understanding his word, understanding his ways. How are you doing at knowledge? About self-control. Some of you were okay up until this point, right? Self-control. That you have a firm grasp on your attitudes and your actions and your tongue. How are you at self-control? Steadfastness, or you can call it patience. How are you at exercising patience in difficult and trying times? How are you at patience and steadfastness as you're waiting for God to act and to work on your behalf? About godliness, about becoming Christ-like. Where are you between 1 and 10 on that scale of pursuing Christ-likeness? Brotherly affection or sisterly affection. How are you at pursuing brotherly or sisterly affection towards those in whom God has put in your path, who's put in this uh, congregation, those in whom you would call brothers and sisters in Christ. How are you at pursuing brotherly affection? And then how are you doing at love? How are you doing at love? Loving one another, loving your spouse, loving your children, loving your friends, loving your neighbors, loving God himself, how are you doing at pursuing love? If you are like me, (laughs) you are far below the 10. As you evaluate your life, that uh, that pursuit of godliness, that pursuit of uh, becoming more Christ-like is seeming a little distant, right? You, You find ways in which you're like, I have some work to do. I have some things that I need to work out, right? The literal translation for verses 5 through 7, do not say, add to your faith virtue, and so on. It says, furnish in your faith virtue, and so on. You can kind of hear this surging of the Lord saying, forward, let's move forward, let's, let's press on. And so we can say it like this, as you have obtained faith in Christ... As you have obtained, so it's something that's already completed, as you have obtained faith in Christ, stand in it. Stand in that faith in Christ. And now apply yourself diligently to advance in moral excellence. So we stand in faith. So we're not, we're not adding to something, right? We're standing in our faith that God has secured for us because of Christ Jesus alone. So we're standing in our faith, and so we're saying we're going to move and press towards these things. And so we stand in it, we stand in our faith, and then we diligently advance in moral excellence. And as you stand in that, do not be satisfied, but press on to increase your knowledge. And as you stand in that, do not be satisfied but be diligent to enlarge your capabilities of self-control and mastery of your passions. 
And as you stand in that, don't be satisfied, but cultivate every form of patience and serenity that you can. And in in that, let devoutness and piety and the sweet love of God flourish. And in that, strive to kindle your affection for other believers. And in and through it, all grow in love for all men. In other words, forward, forward, advance, press on. The evidence that God's power has been given to you by faith is that you are now making every effort to advance in the qualities of Christ. Let me say that again. The evidence that God's power has been given to you by faith is that you are now making every effort to advance in the qualities of Christ. Peter tells us why this is important in verse 8. He says, For these qualities are yours and increasing. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Most of us want to be effective and fruitful. So the question is, why don't we pursue godliness like it's commanded in the Scripture? Why don't we pursue godliness like we ought to? How is it that we can seemingly do everything right, but it still feels like we're missing the mark? Peter gives us two potential barriers to pursuing godliness in verse 9. He says, whoever lacks these things, okay, because we all know, you've evaluated your, your own life, Right? We all know that we lack these things, that none of us are hitting the mark perfectly. We're advancing, we're standing in our faith, and we're pursuing these things. We want them. We want to be more godly. We want to be more Christ-like. We want to be more patient. We want to, we want to be steadfast, right? We want these things. We desire these good things for our life. But he says, whoever lacks these qualities, he gives us two barriers for how we're missing the mark. What are the things that are standing in the way of really pursuing a life of godliness? He says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So what are these two barriers for pursuing godliness? First, he says that you are blind and short-sighted, and then forgotten that you are cleansed from your old sins. The problem with the person who does not strive towards godliness is that he is blind in two directions. You're blind in two directions. The first is when we look towards the future. We're blind when we look towards the future. It's a haze. The promises of God are kind of swallowed up in a a blur of of worldly uh, longings and troubles. We're blind as we look towards the future. I'm nearsighted. Like, if I take my glasses off, um, I can't see more than really about 10 feet in front of me with any clarity. Like, I can't see any, I, re, I mean, I can see figures, I can see outlines, but I can't see, you know, past the tip of my finger, really, like in any detail. Uh, if I were to take my glasses off while I'm driving, uh, I would be a threat to all of you. It would be bad news. It would not be, it would not be a pretty thing. I... I my eyesight started going bad when, when I was uh, young, when I was in about seventh grade, and it just has progressively gotten worse. And uh, some of you wear glasses. Um, I'm now 
have advanced towards uh, bifocals as well. So now I can't read, now no longer can I also read 20 feet in front of me. Now I can't read what's on the page if I don't have my glasses on. So some of you experienced that. In Peter's time, when this was written, this is a pretty serious condition to have because there was no uh, way to correct your vision, right? There's no way to correct that. And so it was dangerous because if, if you were walking along and, uh, and someone was approaching you and you couldn't see, if you're nearsighted, meaning you can't see far away, if you're nearsighted, then you don't know if the person that's approaching you is a friend or an enemy. That's, I mean, it was a, it was a literally... Uh, debilitating uh, problem in the first century to, to, to not have your vision clear because you didn't know who was coming towards you. There's a difficulty. There's, there is a danger today spiritually when we are nearsighted, when we can't see beyond just today's troubles, beyond today's worldly difficulties or, or the things that stand in our way. This is a serious condition in pursuing godliness when we can't see the future, when we can't see beyond just today. Many of you sink in despair because you you can't see what God is doing. It's hard for you to pursue godliness. It's hard for you to pursue being Christ-like because you can't see what God is up to. You're so fixated on what today's trouble is that you can't see the bigger picture of what God is about to do in your life. Your eyes are blurry with worries, worries of this world. Um, perhaps your, your attention is grabbed by idols in your life that grab and distract your attention. That's, that's a problem of spiritual nearsightedness, where today, perhaps all you're seeing are all the, the idols of your heart that, that capture your attention, and it creates nearsighted for yourself. Your eyes have been kind of selfishly enamored by, by looking at your own issues, at your own problems, at your own life. And it's created nearsighted for you, nearsightedness for you. All you see is yourself. I, I used a phrase with some of our interns this week. I, uh, I was talking about navel gazing, and they all looked at me like I was insane. Do you guys know what navel gazing is? It's like constantly looking at yourself. I don't know. I don't know if it's an old guy phrase or what. I have no idea where I came up with it. But it's a phrase, but it is a problem that, that we have, and that's one of the barriers to us pursuing godliness is we're constantly looking at ourselves, enamored with ourselves, or somehow selfishly just concentrating on our own problems and our own issues. It's hard to see what God is up to if we're constantly looking at ourselves. Or perhaps, perhaps the enemy has somehow wooed you and distracted you I'm really seeing God and his work. Nearsightedness is a dangerous place to be in our pursuit of godliness. Friends, let me encourage you. Lift up your heads. (laughs) Wipe your weary eyes and see his precious and very great promises for you for tomorrow. Wipe your eyes. Lift up your head. See beyond your own problems for today, your own idols, your own selfish ambitions. Look beyond those things to tomorrow and see that God has some very great, very precious, very great promises for you. 
The second issue that he said, second barrier that Peter names for us, is that um, we are blind when we look into the past. That the forgiveness that made us so excited and, and uh, made us clean that we've now forgotten about. We've forgotten our first love. We've forgotten that Christ has cleansed us. He says that we have forgotten there in, in, verses, uh, <clears throat> in verse 9, that we have forgotten that we were cleansed from our old sin. That we were cleansed from our old sin. Forgetting is also dangerous. Nearsighted, not looking towards the future and seeing what God has promised us and what we have in store for ourselves, that's dangerous, but so is forgetting. Forgetting our first love of You've forgotten that God cleansed you from all of your sin and shame. You've forgotten who you are in Christ. I found that many people find, find it impossible to pursue becoming like Christ by pursuing godliness because they have forgotten that they've been cleansed from their sins by Christ's death. And they can't escape the shame and guilt of their past. Somehow they are kept captive in slavery. Peter is telling us to remember who we are in Christ. You are not who you used to be. You are not who you used to be. Romans 8 tells us, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, you are not who you used to be. You are a child of God, and you need to remember that. You need to remember the gospel. So, if what I'm saying is that we somehow are able to look towards the future and and recognize God's promises and, and see what he's doing in our life, And also, we're able to clearly see our past and know who we are in Christ. That by by removing those barriers or getting beyond those barriers, that somehow we will become more godly because of that. Is is that what I'm saying? The answer is no. The answer is no. Remembering where you've been and who you are in Christ is essential. It is an enormous barrier that we have to overcome. Looking towards the future, and remember God's very precious and great promises, is essential to us pursuing godliness. But most of the time when we pursue godliness, we tend to think it is about what we can do to become more godly. It's about what we can do to become more godly. So where does godliness come from? Well, Peter tells us back in verse 3. Starting in verse 3, he says, His divine power, talking about the Lord's, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So again, we confirm 
our calling. We confirm our election, our salvation, by pressing on in obedience of faith. We stand in it. We pursue it. But as we press press towards godliness, we must understand that it is God's divine power that has given us all things that lead to life and godliness. It is His divine power. It is not ours. All of our efforts to press on towards the goal of perfect love are possible only because God has already given us the power of His Spirit. That is the only way in which we can press on towards godliness. We do not work to earn His favor. We work by the power of His favor, which is gone before all of our labor. And His power always flows into us as we trust His precious and very great promises. Probably the most important thing to notice here is that this command is based on verse 3 and 4. So those whole list of things, all those characteristics, all those attributes that we're pursuing in godliness, they are based on uh, on verses 3 and 4. Which are not a command, but a description of what God has done for us. God's divine power has given us all things that lead to godliness. So he says in verse 5, So, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. They are connected. You cannot disconnect them from one another. You cannot pursue godliness with every effort if you don't understand where all the power in order to pursue godliness actually comes from. Since God has given power for godliness, strive to become godly. You see that connectedness? Since God has given the power for godliness, He's given everything that we need, since that has already been implanted in us at salvation, since it exists there because the Holy Spirit dwells in our life, then we pursue it. But it is only because of God's power that exists in us that we can pursue any kind of godliness. So we never say, I will work out my salvation in order that God might work in me. No, we, with the Apostle Paul, say, I work out my salvation, for it is God who works in me. To will and to do of His good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2. I work out my salvation, for it is God who works in me. It is Him. Paul says it another way in Colossians chapter 2. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What, what elementary principles is he talking about that we don't need to be captive by? The elementary principle of that you can somehow do this on your own. That somehow it is by your work that you can satisfy God. That it is by your work that you can somehow attain godliness. Don't be fooled by that because it's not true. Your salvation is not, attempt, is not attained by anything that you can do, along with your godliness is not attained by anything that you can do. It is only by the power of Christ. So Paul goes on and says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
God's whole fullness, his whole deity, everything that is God dwells in us bodily. And you have been filled in him. You've been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. It is not by your human effort that you have been made righteousness and had the fullness of deity placed in you. It is not by your effort. It is only by the grace of God. And he has at salvation put that deposited in your spirit. You have the full deity, the fullness of all who God is through the spirit living and surging and working in you already. And having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. What a great reminder for us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in each one of you. That's where the power comes from to pursue godliness. It is not by your own human effort. If you can't save yourself, there's no way you can make yourself godly. There's no way that that can work. It is only by the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's the only way that you can pursue godliness. Romans 8 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and we know that it does, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. That is a great and precious promise that God has given to us. We know that, don't we? We know it theologically, we know it intellectually, but we just don't experience it. And so we feel like we keep failing and failing and failing, like we can never measure up, like all those eight qualities who just feel like, I just can't attain that. You know what? You're right. You can't. You cannot do it on your own. It is not by human effort. I don't care how early in the morning you get up to read your Bible. You cannot attain godliness by yourself. It is impossible. You can't earn salvation by yourself. You cannot earn godliness by yourself. It is impossible. The flesh is too weak. We are too selfish. We are too inward looking. In order to change the heart of a man from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, you need something supernatural to work in your life. You need the spirit working in you. So I know some of you are like, okay, okay, I get this, I understand this, but don't I have to do something? Like, isn't there some responsibility? Like, or do I, am I just like this this lifeless puppet that the Spirit of God comes in and then he does everything? Don't I have something that I have to do? I know some of you are struggling with that, right? It's like, because it's our human nature to have to want to work towards something, Right? Well, let me just, let me just tell you, yeah, there's, there's some responsibility that you have. There's some responsibility that you have. I had a difficult time thinking through, like, what's the best illustration for how this works? Because this is a difficult concept that, that we are to, as Peter says, right, in this passage, that we are to make every effort, right? I mean, so there's an encouragement. There's a command. Make every effort... We find that in verse 5. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. 
So there's got to be something that I'm responsible for if he's encouraging me to make every effort in this. So let me illustrate it this way. This is, uh, and, and I'm still working through this theologically, like how this all comes together, but this is the best illustration that I can. Um, how many of you have been dancing before? Yeah? I, it's okay for Christians to dance, all right? I don't know if anyone's told you that or not, but even if you're Baptist, it's okay, right? You can dance. So um, Lauren and I have gone dancing before. I'll just admit to you, I'm a horrible dancer, right? I'm really bad at it. She says no. She just thinks I need more practice, but I just think, I just think I'm bad at it. So um, I know it's been a couple of years ago, but we went downtown to a place that did uh, uh, was salsa. That didn't work so well. So we went salsa dancing, and, uh, <clears throat> and uh, so we took the lessons ahead of time, right? They have free lessons. We ate dinner at this place, and then um, it's at Alhabra. Anybody ever been to Alhabra downtown on Randolph? It's like a, it's, it's great. Anyway, so it's a fun kind of kitschy place. Anyway, um, so we took the lessons ahead of time. I was just, I could not pick up the steps. They're trying to teach you. And what we didn't realize was that they were going to line us all up, like all the other couples that were taking the lessons, they were going to line us all up. And so Lori and I, I'm trying to do this dance, and then they would say, okay, switch, right? And then you're supposed to move over to a new partner, and then I just lose it, like, oh my gosh, I've got this person in front of me, I don't know what I'm doing, and now I'm supposed to be the one that's like, because the, the guy, the man, is supposed to lead, Right? Like, I'm supposed to lead in the dance. That's how this is supposed to work, apparently, right? These women, every single time I advanced, every single woman just, I think, got more and more frustrated with me because I had no idea what I was doing, right? And it was just, it was a disaster. So the rest of the night, I drank a lot of Diet Coke and watched, like, professional salsa dancers dance the night away (laughs) with my wife, I think, you know, wishing that I, I uh, I could figure this thing out. Here's the thing. When it comes to our spiritual life and pursuing godliness, God is always the lead. He is always the lead. He knows exactly what he's doing. There's not one misstep in how he leads us. He knows every move. He knows, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He's constantly, like he knows how to move us in a way and take us places that we could never imagine. And it's the most beautiful dance that you've ever seen. What's my responsibility in that? Is to be led. Is to be led. I'm, I'm, see, I'm making every effort that I can, right? And I'm a horrible dancer, but I'm following the master who understands this dance far more beautifully than I ever could. I'm learning from him. I'm making every effort to try to shuffle my feet and to follow him and to be led and to be, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying... I'm giving it everything I can. But at the end of the day, I am completely and utterly dependent upon my leader. I'm completely and utterly dependent upon the one who knows how he's leading me. That's the best way I know how to illustrate. And maybe you have a better way of illustrating that. But for me, it's a picture of what my responsibility in this is that I don't know what I'm doing when I'm pursuing godliness. I have no idea. But God does. He knows me perfectly, and he's leading me beautifully. And, and what I know is that as I pursue, and I press in, and I, and I stand in my faith, and I do all that I can, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm pursuing it as hard as I possibly can, I'm making every effort to follow him, 
like the dance gets easier, right? Like, okay, well, I learned that step, like, right? I learned, I learned how to move with him, and uh, right? And then, then occasionally he'll throw in something new that I didn't expect, right? <laughs> oh, Lord, now you're, you're teaching me something that's beyond what I've already experienced. And so now, each day I'm learning some new moves that I didn't know I even had, right? We make every effort. But at the end of the day, I am utterly and completely dependent upon him. Completely dependent upon him. John Piper said, if the power of God does not flow into your life and make you godly, you are not in Christ. All who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons and daughters of God. The mark of sonship is divine power. The mark of sonship is divine power, and the mark of power is godliness. We first understand who we are. We remember our past. We remember who we are as we stand in our faith, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King, that we have been cleansed and forgiven, that we, we are all... He, he is taking care of all of our sins and shame. We don't live in that way anymore. And we look forward to his great and precious promises. Yesterday, I had the privilege of, uh, we had a special baptism service at our church that we attend. Um, we, uh, we're a church plant, so we don't have a baptistry. And so we have to borrow another uh, church's baptistry. And so that's why we had it on Saturday. And uh, we packed the place out. We had 11 people, uh, men and women, uh, that were being baptized, sharing their public confession of what Christ has done in their lives. It was an awesome experience. We just, it was, it was so wonderful. Uh, but before they were baptized, every single one of those 11 got up and shared their testimony about what God has done in their life. And it was just amazing. One story after another of just amazing things that God has done in the life of people who had grown up in the church all their life as kids, um, some real brokenness and, and just some of the most challenging, heartbreaking stories you've heard to people, uh, one young Chinese girl who didn't even know who Jesus was until a year ago, gave her heart to, to, to Christ and was baptized yesterday. It was just an amazing experience. But they all had something uh, similar uh, when they shared their testimony. In fact, our pastor got up and remarked afterwards uh, about uh, all, all the 11. He said, it's remarkable that they all had something in common. They all kind of shared this, this key thing. Um, and this key thing um, was dependence. They all were broken in some way. And that they knew that they couldn't, they couldn't obtain godliness, they couldn't obtain salvation by themselves. That they were all dependent upon what God's Spirit had done in their life. It was remarkable to hear all their stories. Friends, we must confess, we must all confess, that we can't change ourselves as much as we want to, right? I mean, it's a great, it's a great idea, Right? I want to change. I want to, I want to do this all by myself. I want to, by my human hands, I think I can become a better person, right? Friends, we have to confess that we cannot do this. It is an impossible task. No matter how good we are or how hard we try, the sin of our hearts is just too deep. It's too deep. That's why David prays, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. 
What's he confessing? God, you know me better than I know myself. You, like you search me. Expose all of the deepest, darkest things in my life that don't want to follow you. And God, you lead me to the way of everlasting. It's only you that can do that. And God forbid that anything ever happened to my heart, right? To my literal heart that's beating in my chest right now. Um, but if it does, um, do you know who I don't want to operate on me? Daniel. I definitely don't want Daniel to operate on me. Just letting you know. So I don't want him. But you know what would be even worse than having Daniel operate on me? Having me operate on me. I can't do it. It's impossible. I cannot operate on my own heart. And when it comes to my spiritual heart, only God can do that kind of work. Only God can. We are incapable of changing ourselves. The wonderful thing it is, is in His divine power that He has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. Everything that we need is in us through the power of His Spirit that already dwells in us. We just stand in it. We press forward in it. We allow Him to lead us. We, we, become, uh, we become ones who are dependent, utterly dependent upon Him. And so let me encourage you in this way. Our responsibility is to wipe our eyes and look up and see God's precious and very great promises. To see those, that he is at work in the future. He's, he's working today, tomorrow, and for everlasting. He's working to transform our hearts. How do we know that? Because his very precious and great promises, he's told us already that he would. That we remember that we have been cleansed from our former sins. That we have a new identity. It's changed us. We are not who we used to be. We are sons and daughters of God. That we make every effort to, to supplement our faith. We do everything that we can to stand in it and press forward, knowing that it's God that leads us. And that we put our faith in, and dependence in God's divine power. It is only by Him that we can change. Let's pray together.